The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. False advertising, okay? Um, one, my family didn't even buy it for me, okay? So I bought it for myself off of Amazon this week. That's how bad it is. So I am not the world's greatest dad, for sure. Um, uh, my, my kids are back in church, and I'm sure they would, they would believe that that's the truth. I'm preaching the gospel right now. But uh, the point being is, as we talked as we led up to this, that our hope is to drive us to the world's greatest dad, the world's greatest father, which is God our Father. So that's my hope as we walk through this text this morning. And so every time I speak, I come before y'all, I, uh, I really have to preach the sermon to my own heart uh, before I can stand up here before y'all with any kind of confidence, uh, any kind of authority that I feel like God has placed on me to be able to speak that. And so this week has particularly been a, a long week in the Miller household. It's probably been a really good week for my kids because I'm always thinking, okay, how am I doing right now? How am I doing as a father? And so uh, it means from if, the, if Hannah's crying at two in the morning, it's no, I mean, I'm not even grumbling going up the stairs, you know, I'm just walking up there and like, all right, I'm, it's time for me to, to, to be with my daughter at this time. But, uh, so hopefully, uh, as what God has done in my heart this week preparing, uh, we'll have opportunity to sink in your hearts this morning as well. Um, but to talk about this shirt, shirt before we go into it, um, it's really, in culture, it's a joke now. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of world's greatest edge or whatever. Uh, it's kind of looked in a negative light. And that's because, as a whole, culture is an open rebellion against authority. So that includes children being in open rebellion against their parents. That includes parents being in rebellion of what God has placed on them, their responsibilities and duties to raise a child. And so, so ultimately, we know, why is that? Why is that? Okay, so we go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we have the fall. God created everything perfect, and then we see that our great-great-great-great-grandfather, our parents, they failed. They sinned. And when they sinned, when they chose to rebel against God originally, that is included to us, that's passed down to us. So this whole world we live in is fractured by sin. And so before we jump into this text this morning, this is what the text lines out is what God's design is for the family. But we live in a world that is so fractured it's kind of hard for us even to jump into it because we have all our own uh, preconceptions, what we have our own experiences with uh, being a child and having parents or parenting. And so what I really want us to do before we jump into the text, I feel like we really have to frame the truth itself uh, before we can really see how it applies to us. And so the text overall, where we'll be going, we'll be going, we'll talk about children are to obey and honor, and then we'll talk about Fathers, particularly parents, are to not to provoke, but to discipline and instruct. So those are the two sides. That's where we're going to be going. That's where we'll be flowing today. And so it starts off, children, obey your parents. So it talks about parents here. So what that is, what the text is saying is that there should be a father and a mother. And that's what God's expectation is, as a father and a mother. Uh, I looked up some statistics before I got up here and said that in South Carolina in 2011, when they did the census, single-parent homes, was, it was 42% of homes in South Carolina were single-parent homes, whether it was just one father, or a father present or, or a mother present. And we know in the vast majority of the time, it's the mother that's there, the father's absent. 
If you look at fathers particularly, it says fathers do not provoke, provoke, but rather discipline and instruct. That's what's called in this text. So if you look at fathers, this absence, this, this uh, pandemic in our society of fathers not being there to father. And so I looked up another statistic, 43%. If you look at the national average in the United States, there's 43% of homes do not have a father present. And so thinking about that, I started thinking about my story. You know, like, wait a minute, let me, let me draw back. I'm in those statistics. So for me, particularly, when I was born, there was only one surviving grandfather and that was alive. The, the uh, other grandfather had passed away, and uh, he died when I was four. So I really have very, very few memories of him at, at all. Really, probably my earliest memories are his death. Um, and then, many of you know, my father uh, took his life when I was nine. My mom did remarry, but my stepdad, he, he would say stuff. He would say, like, I don't want to replace your dad. So he never, he never tried to be my dad. And now as I've come to deal with more and more stuff, I realized that a lot of it was his, I think, personally, um, was what he struggled with uh, by not being a father to his children, his biological children. Most of them were a lot older than me. I was uh, late in the bunch by far, the closest one to me in any of the group. My, my biological brothers and sisters or stepsisters and brothers, they were 10 years older than me. So really, like, I was the only child with a bunch of parents running around telling me what to do. So, uh, but anyway, he never, he never tried to be my father. Then when I was 21, he, um, my parents were actually uh, in the process um, of divorce. They were actually divorced at the time. So when I was 21 in college, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he passed away when he was having surgery done to remove the cancer from his lung. So ultimately, I'm in those statistics uh, about not having a father. Um, but I hope and that I can be an example uh, not that I've got it all together by far, but there is hope for us because we do have a heavenly father. We have the father of all fathers that we can go to. The scripture tells us specifically that he is a father to the fatherless. And so I know that I'm not the only one in this boat. I mean, I can look around the room and I know personal stories. Or that you're in those statistics as well. It's either through death, and you don't have a father, or it's through abandonment, you don't have a father, or, or you have a father that does provoke, uh, that doesn't Discipline that doesn't instruct. So I know that we're all really in here together uh, for the vast majority of us. And so I hope we can walk together through this text and really see what God has uh, to say and that we have a hope that we can, as a group together, live and develop Christ in our homes where we rightly walk out the calling that God has put on us, particularly fathers this morning in this room. So that's where a lot of my focus is going to be. Um, and I really could tell you stories upon stories upon stories of a father that liked to provoke. Um, I have uh, some family on the back row, and I know some stories that they have. I know some stories I have. Uh, if it's from your first fishing trip, and you think you're catching your first fish, but no, no, Dad's got that one, and he's laughing. Uh, and I, I could go on and on, but I started when I started writing them. I started getting convicted. I started thinking, well, I'm not really honoring my earthly father if I stand before you and do that. I could do that. Um, but I'm not, I'm not honoring him, and I'm not honoring my Heavenly Father by doing that. And so there will be a section where we'll get to some applications. So stick with me for a while, because I do want to hit, what do we do then if, we're, if we have parents that we foresee as not uh, living out what, they, what I should honor them for? 
And so I hope you will stick with me. I'll I, I give you a little bit at the beginning, but we will definitely get through it in, in our outline. So last week, uh, Justin uh, had a text, and it was, it was really heavy. It was really gospel-centered. It was, it was drawing the line, this red line down the, down the middle here about where you stood before God and where you're going to stand. And so he talked about three groups of people, and we have that line here. He talked about the first group of people being ch children of disobedience, those who are, are definitely have no relationship with Jesus Christ, and they are far from him, and their result and their end game is eternal hell. And then he talked about this other group where you have profession Christians, they're close to the line, they make a profession, but there's no fruit there, there's no fruit, they, they just have a knowledge, but they have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have this group that we find on the, the judgment day when God goes to judgment day and separates the sheep and the goats, they're going to be on the goat side. They're going to think, but Lord, I, didn't I do this? Didn't I go to Doxa Church that one Sunday and hear about fathers? Didn't I do these things? Didn't I serve at Doxa Church? But the point being, your service, what you think, uh, your acts that you do for God is not where it is. It is about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So over here we have, over here on this side, the line. It's children of light is what his text was talking about. So I wanted to frame that before we go into it because what I'm talking about, to be able to do any of these things through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's because you're on this side of the line, that's where you need to be. So a lot of my focus is going to be on things that if we're on this side of the line, it's going to be tough for us to do. We're going to fall short. The only hope that we have is being on this side of the line and being a child of God. And so God has challenged us to do specific things uh, in this world, and one of them is redeem what is broken. So we know that everything was broken in the fall, but our call as children of God is to redeem things that have been broken. And that includes the story and God's purpose of the family. So now that I've, I've made that groundwork, let's transition to see what God has to say to children and parents, fathers in particular, in this text. I'm going to read again for us Ephesians 6, 1-4. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you've been here on a Sunday that I've been able to leave before, you know what's, what's next for me is that we got to define the terms. That's just the way my, my brain works. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get up here and not say, okay, let's define the terms that are in this passage. Because particularly this Sunday, we have our own idea, our own working definitions of obedience, our own working definitions of what it means not to provoke, to discipline and instruct. So first of all, we'll talk about um, obedience or to obey and what it means to obey. And obey is to listen with intentiveness and with the intent to respond positively to what has been said. So I want to point out a few things. Just listen with attentiveness and the intent to respond positively to what has been said. So I want to give you a few examples or, or probably the main example from my family about what it means to respond um, in a positive manner. So we have this, uh, I think Hannah is what, 14 of the grandkids? Um, and so we... We are a big family, a close family, through, really brought through close through tragedy, a lot of it. Um, but we kind of raise our kids. It's, it's a home where everybody has right to, 
to, to help rearing the other person's kids. You know, just kind of grow up in that. That's how I grew up. I told you already. I had I felt like I had five mamas growing up with four older sisters instead of a mom, just one mom. So that's kind of the background we're coming from. But this respond positively. Um, we, we have uh, what we call the shrimp in our family. That means if you've rebuked a child or you told them to do something, it's, it's the, the body, what they do. So we have most of our family, half the majority of family, they shrimp and they, they do this. So that's the shrimp. So we call them out, say, you know, you're shrimping. You, if we tell them to go pick up that toy, they're, they're shrimping. <laughs> you know, they might do it, but that's not obedience. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's the, they're not listening with the intent to respond positively. And then we had JD. He, he came up with his own game. He's, that's the kind of kid he is. He does a, a lot on his own, uh, his own way. But he has the reverse shrimp. So when he does it, he's like backwards head done. <laughs> and he had that big mop over it. You see nothing but hair down there. He kind of got it cut there. So that's his, that's him wanting to respond. So he's not responding positively. So the point being that there is a, there's an attitude. Obedience is, is really an inward reverence. Uh, as well as outward acts. So it's not just about outward acts. It's not about a kid actually doing what you've asked them to do. It's how they do it makes a big difference. Um, and also, there's, I want to make a point, there's no such thing as delayed obedience. And when I make these, I hope what you would do as we talk about children and obeying, that you would also, in your own mind, make the connection about what you're called to do in the Lord and obey Him. Just the same positive attitude. Are you, are you begrudgingly doing what God has asked you to do? That's not true obedience. Delayed obedience. When you, God calls you to do something, you know that's what you're supposed to do, but you're holding back, and then you finally comply. That's not true obedience. And so this counting to three stuff, we shouldn't do. And I, guarantee, I know I do it. So, you know, it's count to three, and then when I get to three and they don't come, what do I do? All right, I'll give you four, I guess. I don't know, you know? So, I mean, it's not true. It's not really calling to our children what they need to do. So we shouldn't allow them to have delayed obedience. Like, okay, come here. All right, I'm giving you three. That's allowing them to have delayed obedience and thinking that's okay. And really, our children are, are brilliant. You know, I think if you, uh, if you would, your, your children study you more than you probably realize, and that's what I'm just starting to realize as a, as a young parent. You know, they know, they see that look in your eye when you're about to explode. You know, you give them the three, you give them the five. They, when you, they start seeing the certain, in our farm, it, it was a look. It was kind of a teeth kind of look. You knew it was, it was over with. You, that was all right. You pushed the envelope too far. I, I'm going to comply now. That's being complying. That's not obeying. Um, so in our family, that's how it ran. And so I just wanted to pull those things out and think about that in our own life with our own children and children what you're called to do. That we should be positive, uh, that you're really showing an inward reverence with your outright, out, outward acts, and that there's no delay in it, that you're truly responding. Um, there's a clause in here to children um, that the Lord puts in. It says, in the Lord. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And this clause would suggest that there's limitations on the obedience, particularly when it comes to God's word. So if a child has been asked to do something and to obey that is in direct uh, opposition of God's word and his will, then that, that obedience is not required. But I would propose to you this morning that honor is still required. So even though you're not called to obey, so 
but you're still trying to walk through with the Lord, how do I honor in this situation? How do I still honor my father and my mother in something? You could be an older child, a younger child. It could be falling anywhere really here, but a lot of times it happens in our lives as we get older in our family. And maybe it's because God has brought us and quickened our heart, and now we have a whole different framework and our parents are not saved. How do we still honor in those relationships when they're, they're asking and requesting things that don't line up in God's word? And that's something really you have to do. You have to walk out with the Lord. I know it's a tough walk. It's a part of the reason why we have community here at Doxa Church, to be able to walk through those things with each other, having counsel, getting many witnesses, many brothers and sisters to look at a situation and pray over a situation and how you should respond. And this also is a side note. This is, I'm particularly making a line with not obeying if it's directly in opposition of God's word. So there's no clause there if, if you think your dad or mom's a jerk. There's no clause there to say, okay, well, I can, I can disobey. Right? It's not about what you think. And, and really, they might even truly be a jerk. But you still don't have, there's no clause there saying, okay, I can be, you know, Dale, he, he read me a verse out of here. I, you know, don't put that on me. I just want to make sure y'all not going to put that on me later with your relationship with your parents. Um, but there's no clause there. You still have to obey uh, in things that are not uh, in opposition of God's word. So we already talked about honor a little bit. <clears throat> honor is to value highly, uh, to hold in the highest regard. And to me, when I was thinking about this, it really comes down to respect. Um, and really, it's kind of hard to separate honor and obey and honor because they're so closely tied together. And so obedience for me from the right motive is evidence of honor. Obeying is the action and honors the attitude portion of it. Um, so I'm finally there. We've kind of alluded to it. So what do you do if your mother or father is blown? I mean, what do you do? I mean, these are real, real issues people are struggling with. Well, how do I do this? How do I walk through this right in the Lord? And I would just go ahead and just get to the point. We can talk about some, some secondary stuff uh, in this issue. But the point be, your motive to obey and honor is not tied to their worth or even your feelings and your worth. The main motive is because you desire to obey and honor the world's greatest dad, God our Father. That is where your motive comes from. He actually commands it. If you look at Deuteronomy 5, 16, I think it'll be up. It says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you. This is particularly what he has commanded. And what I would just, cursory what I would say is in these situations, what you need to do is you need to ask God to walk with you through that and show you how you can give grace, how you can give forgiveness. It's so important to give grace and forgiveness in this relationship because my hope is that it will prevent from a root of bitterness being developed in your own heart. And so, like it or not, our kids are always watching us. They're studying us so they know that when they need to comply, um, they're always watching us and studying us. And so if we personally have the own relationship that is negative towards our father, our mother, they're going to see that. That's teaching them that it's okay. They're not going to be able to read between the lines. So reaping and sowing is definitely uh, a principle that, that plays part here. And if you're, if, you're, if you're sowing in negativity to your parents, that's what you're going to reap from your children in the future. So I would just caution you that. I would caution you that. I know it's difficult, but to honor our Heavenly Father in it and have the vision to see the how you are training your own children in it. And sometimes, it goes back to my intro, but God put a conviction on my heart. Sometimes the best way to honor 
a mother or father has blown it is just not to say nothing at all. Sometimes it's just to refrain from saying anything. Um, so I pray for you. I know, I know in this room people are struggling with this, and I do pray for you uh, that, that the Lord would help. As, as Randy talked about in the beginning, what we, what we were saying about is, is, Lord, we need you. We need you most of all to, to help us navigate through these difficult issues. And so as we make the transition to, to verse 4, which we'll spend most of our time with next, um, I just want to kind of point out the implication to parents from verses 1 and 3. Um, the implication is, is that God expects us to require uh, obedience. Require obedience and honor from our children. So the question would be, um, or, the, or the truth in that statement would be, if, if we don't require it, they're not going to give it. We don't require obedience and honor. Our children are not going to give it to us. So the, the, the follow-up question to that truth, if you're struggling right now, is to truly search your own heart and saying, okay, if my, my child is not being obedient, then am I requiring it? Am I rightly requiring obedience and honor for my children? And so I do want to make an a, a asterisk note on this point, too, that, that requiring obedience is not the same thing as requiring perfection. We are to model both justice and mercy. That means that not every disobedience is going to be punished. Some will be noted. Some will even be overlooked. And so how do you rightly balance that? But it's ultimately in those teaching moments when you do that, it needs to be an example of mercy and grace that we have received from the world's greatest dad that we have received from God our Father. So Ephesians 2, 4 talks about our God as being rich in mercy. And then Ephesians 7, 1, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 talks about him lavishing grace upon us. So when you pass over disobedience, when you choose to pass over disobedience, you need to make the connection point that, that you are giving mercy to your child. And so the point being, it might be, your child might be set up for failure. Like yesterday we did a lot of shopping, had to get a lot of things to do on this to-do list. So we started at the mall. We, we skipped Target. That was a hard call, I'm telling you. After after Halloween sales, that was tough. We were it was on our list, but we had to we had to skip that one. Then we went to the mall, went to Lifeway, went to Costco, and by the end of Costco, I mean JD had had it. I mean it was it was done. He was done. He did good, but then he was done. You know, so in those situations, he's being disobedient because really I set him up for failure. But he was out for a long time. Not that I'm okay with his disobedience, but I need to use that as a teachable moment to say, look, I am not going to punish you in this situation because I'm giving you mercy. And being able to use that as a bridge to explain that what we have received from God, that we don't get what we deserve. That God has showed mercy upon us. And in this example of lavishing grace, I love it um, to use this example. And I, I talked to Jonathan before the service. He's actually serving in nursery right now. Um, now, I remember the example he gave about uh, giving grace and teaching grace to his children. So, um, I think it was, it's been a while back, so Tom was young, and Tom was really, really wanting, uh, probably, I think it was an Xbox. And it was, it was a desire he had, he really wanted it, uh, but he knew it was just, it was, it was just going to fly. It wasn't on the map from the cost standpoint and everything else, it was just, is an out of, out of the question. You know, it's a good desire he wanted, but he knew that, that the reality of that coming true was, was not there. And so just out of the blue, Jonathan decided to load, the, load him up, go and actually purchase the Xbox. 
Just out of nowhere, not really telling. But he used that moment to say, this is grace. This is me giving you something you do not deserve. You didn't work for it. You're not, you're not entitled to it. But I'm giving it to you as an example of grace. And so now in their family now, it's, kind of a, it's become a, a kind of a common theme to look for. So when they know grace is coming, they're like, this is awesome. This is awesome. Dad is about to do something for us that we do not deserve. This is something we haven't earned. Dad is about to step up and do something great. So I think that's a, a great example for us, and I would pray that you would take those two things of showing mercy and grace, teachable moments with your children. Um, now I'm going to make the turn to, to look at the second part. We've covered children obeying and honoring and how we should rightly do that and, and require that. Now we're going to move to fathers not provoking but giving discipline and instruction. In the ancient world... Fathers really could do anything um, with their children and, and have no repercussions from it. I mean, there could be abuse, there could be abandonment, um, there was no re repercussions from whatever authorities were in place. The fathers had, had reign, they had the ability to, to rule uh, their homes with a rigid, uh, domineering spirit, um, and there's really, really nothing that could be done. Um, so what Paul has put in here in, in Ephesians 6, 4, talking about fathers do not provoke your children is a great, great blessing uh, for children. He's basically developing a, a home that is far better than they could ever hope for outside the church. And, um, and God, God's requirement of fathers is, is to not rule with an authoritative, domineering practice that was so common in the culture. And a lot of times in that culture, what would happen is that the, the spirit of the child would be crushed. We have, God's word shows us that that is not what we're to do. We've been called to be the opposite of that. We're called not to provoke, but, also, but to give discipline and instruction. And do you know, before I, I jump into this section about fathers particularly, I just want to put on the table and just make sure we all understand the weight on this. And why there is so much weight on fathers in this text. And what I'm trying to communicate to you and what's on my heart. Uh, is because we, we went through the summer. We were able to go through the Manhood Restored uh, book as a group of men. And it was excellent. And what we kept coming back to, kept coming back to, is that no matter if we, how, if we liked it or not, our fathers shaped our view of how we saw God our Father. So if they were bad or good, whatever it was, we knew our fathers didn't match up to our Heavenly Father, but it shaped the way that we saw God. It shaped the way we read verses. It, had, it produced things that we had to, to work over and obstacles we had to come to to see and rightly understand what God says, that he is, a, he is a gracious God, a loving God, and is full of mercy and slow to anger. So that is a heavy responsibility to do and one of the big things here at Dr. Church is we do want to put that on the table and walk beside guys and figure out how that works out in our life. So do not provoke with words or reasonable demands. So I'm going to give a few examples of that. I'll try to at least. So the first being, uh, as a father, you really need to be a coach instead of a critic. You know, a coach is somebody that, that offers encouragement. And it, uh, somebody, a player might not do what they're supposed to do on the field. They might blow an assignment. There's going to be some interaction there that's not too, too uh, uh, enjoyable for the player. Uh, but there's also going to be behind that encouragement and coaching up and preparing that person uh, to succeed on the field. And that's what our job should be as parents. 
figure out how we can set up our children to succeed in life. And there's going to be, because they're, they're sinful and uh, as little children and they're doing things, there's going to be times that you're going to have to discipline and instruct. It's going to be there. So if you're, all you're doing is that, discipline and instruction, discipline and instruction, and there's no encouragement, it's just, you're just running the bank in. That, you're going to develop a child that's bitter. If you're not rightly going beside him or her, putting your arm around him and encouraging him and bringing them up, and not always just being a negative Nancy in the whole situation. <laughs> Sorry if you're Nancy. Um, another one is uh, hypocrisy. I think to me, it's, to me, this is just such a, an issue, particularly when it comes to the church. Um, when you don't practice what you preach, so far as when you walk through those doors, you're a different family. But you're also you got the mask on and everything's great. But outside, before you pulled up in the parking lot, things were just off the rails. And not being able to, to be real as a parent, and even as a young parent, I, I just see young children looking up and thinking, looking at their parents and saying, where, where did this person come from? Where's this person been in my household? And that breaks my heart to do that, and I pray that Doxa will be a safe place that, that, where we can be real, that we know that it's not about how well we got it together, but it's about our relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what makes us in right standing for God. It's not a show for anybody else, that we can be real to struggle through issues. Um, emotional absence is another way for, for us to provoke our children to anger. In the back in the day, it was probably dad being in the shop, dad working on a car, dad doing everything. I think the vast majority of this example now needs to go to technology. I mean, all I, th all I put down was put down your phone. Just put your phone down. You know, I was with the kids, and so I told you I was preaching to my own heart this week. I mean, I'm having to put the phone down. I mean, we're in line doing something. Just put the phone, put it down. Just, you can get to it later. Um, so emotional absence, you might be physically there, but, but mentally you're far away. You provoke your children to anger. Um, and then if your, your ultimate joy uh, comes from your own hobbies. So if, if that's what you have ultimate joy and is seen in your hobbies and what you want to do and where you want to be and what you want to um, participate in, if that's what your children see, you'll provoke them to anger. Because as a parent now... Your hobby should be what you should get your enjoyment out, and your hobby is watching your kids have fun. It's watching your kids be able to go to the beach. For me, it's particularly surfing. You know, that's all I, I had such a passion to do that. I probably about blew it with Keetra because of surfing. You know, she would come down, and I'd be ready to go. I hadn't seen her in forever. And it was an issue that I had a passion for, that, um, and, and I would put everything else in the back burner. And I've had to walk through that as a child. Uh, as, as a father now, because I go to the beach and like I'm looking at the ocean the whole time. You know, I'm looking for the waves, for the waves. I'm not. I'm so distant from my children just to sit and play in the ocean, to sit and play in the sand. So, particularly for me, um, I need to rightly understand that my hobby now is to watch my kids have fun. And another one that steps on my toes is being cheap. <laughs> Good laugh in my family. They know it. Uh, so you can provoke your children to anger if you're, if you're just cheap. You're just a cheap person. Um, and so I'm personally, I try my goal to say, yeah, look, I'm going to be cheap. That's just how I'm going to roll. But I want to be generous to everybody else that's around me. That's my goal. But ultimately, I've got to, you know, I've got to grow in this area. Just, just lavish our, our, our kids with gifts sometimes. Not that we're spoiling them, but it be able to, like, you know, it's okay to get ice cream today. You know, it's okay to get ice cream. So if you know me, don't, I'm not taking to extremes like you get your kid a car and doing all kind of other stuff. I'm just talking about a little ice cream. You know, I made JD make a decision the other day. You either get this candy from the store or you're going to get ice cream. You make the decision. He tried to pull off both. 
I was hard to, you know, we got candy. So on situations like that, I need to, I need particularly um, to not be so cheap. Because I know I'm going to provoke my children to anger. So if you struggle with that, I know um, there's some frugal people up in the bunch this morning. Um, I'd pray that you would ask God to help you to be generous to your children. Um, and rightly not spoil them and how you can do that. Uh, and ultimately, probably the biggest one um, I want to hit is when we don't repent of our own sins. And it's particularly sins that we've had against our children. When we're too worried about being right all the time and not understanding that it's not about us being right, it's about teaching our children that God is always right and being humble and to be able to repent and ask forgiveness from your own children. I mean, that is a key part uh, of what it means to model and show repentance so they understand what it means to, to ask for forgiveness and, then, and to be able to receive that forgiveness. J.D., yesterday, I'll tell you really quickly, we were about to go out. I told you we were going shopping. Um, I'm loading up the kids. We have two controllers for the van, and we have these cool doors that open and whatnot. So anyway, I'm loading up Hannah, and I'd open up J.D.'s door, and I've told him probably 147 times, don't push the button to close the door. Don't push the button to close the door. You just get in. So anyway, he starts screaming. I'm like, oh, no, what's going on? Run around. His hands are, his little fingers are stuck in the, the door. He's holding his sippy cup, just, just froze, just screaming. He's holding his cup. I was proud of him. He didn't drop it. Like, ah! So, and so, like, I opened the door, get the door open, and, I, and, I, and my first response was, did you push the button? Did you push the button? And Keecher comes up behind me and says, no, I pushed the button. And so I see it in his face. He's like, Dad, I need you to, to come for me here. And I'm asking, did you push the button? So I had to model repentance and ask forgiveness for my son. I had to hug him and tell him that Daddy was sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, and uh, he babied it for a little while, but he's okay. He's still, he can still count to ten. So we good. Um, but ultimately, too, in this text, it says that we're not to provoke by withholding discipline and proper instruction. And so discipline is, is the shaping of the will through training. Um, and I would just want to ask, has anybody raised a child in here that's not strong-willed? I mean, all of them are strong-willed. Some of them are more strong than others, but it's just not weak children just hanging out. It's like, oh, it's easy to, to train up. Um, so I just want to put that on the table for us. They're all strong-willed, some more strong than the others. Um, and oftentimes, when it comes to, to discipline, we believe the lie that the battle is not worth it sometimes. Me battling to discipline and being consistent in my discipline is not worth it. It's particularly at home, where we want to overlook stuff, overlook stuff, overlook stuff. But we got to realize that this discipline at home is training down ground for the world. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So you see this diligent to discipline him. There is a consistency. There's a key to it. So the point is, is, is that not to be all of a sudden passive, passive, passive blow up. Or to be just where you want to let everything ride at home. But when you get in public, you just become this authoritarian. Just like, where'd this person come from? I haven't been living with this person. I'm in public now. Now they're really strict. And, and I, I've got all these... Uh, Things I've got to do, and now they're asking me to say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. I didn't have to do that at home or anywhere else. The point being, your kids, when they, I, I just see their eyes looking like, where, where's this coming from? They don't, know, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to rightly factor it. And so I would, I would point to you, 
that in those situations, if it's a public situation, you're requiring something different of your children, that really is showing you more your own pride, that that's how you want them to act and how you want to look in front of other people. It's your fear of an embarrassment that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Job 5, 17 says, Behold, blessed is the one who God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. And so the ultimate model of discipline is the world's greatest dad, God our Father, who always tempers his wrath with mercy. Let's move to instruction. So instruction is the shaping of the mind through teaching. Instruct them in knowledge of divine things. So what does that mean, to instruct them in the knowledge of divine things? Well, that means starting with the basics of Christianity. Um, so what I want to do this morning, if you're here and you have small children or you have nieces and nephews that are small or you got grandkids that are small, I want to offer you something from, from Dotson Church. It's something we do quite frequently. And it's back in the resources that are free for everybody. But if you're here, I'd like to give you this book. And it's my, my first question, my first book of questions and answers. Um, and it's just simple stuff. It's, it's basically set up like catechisms, if you're familiar with that. But it starts out as, who made you? And why did God make you? And what else did God make? It's being able to go in and train your children on the basics of Christianity. Um, so I'd like to just go ahead and pass these around. Start on this side. Feel free to grab one and pass it around. If you're interested in one, I know you might. You're not quite on the ready to have kids yet. But if you have one left over, I'd like for you to have one for sure. Um, They've got some on this side to go around to. And if you're interested, if you don't get one, let us know. We make orders frequently to put it on a resource table and we'll make sure you get it. Psalms 119, 9-11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By, God, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. To the point of doing this, or we have a children's Bible in the back, what I want to just put on the table this morning is make it fun. Make it fun for your children. It's not like, who is God? What did it do? Wrong. You know, you, you got to make it fun. Have the Bible stories come to, to, come to life, you know? Use silly voices. Be silly. Enjoy, make them and allow it to be an enjoyable time. When they get it right, do a crazy celebration. This is a point of, of wanting our kids to delight in the law and understand that it's, it's been given to us to, to shape our relationship, to rightly understand God our Father. And it's not just about rules or Bible heroes. It's but looking for Jesus in the story and ultimately pushing them back to the Father. And then I would ask you to start with the basics, but then to move to biblical womanhood, manhood, marriage, sexuality. You need to teach your daughters that the true beauty and respect come from a changed heart. That Jesus transform, transforms ugly hearts and emotions and attitudes into beautiful reflections of himself. Teach your sons what it means to, to be a biblical man, what it means to reject passivity, what it means to accept responsibility, and what it means to lead courageously. Teach and model Ephesians 5.22 for wives what it means to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. Fathers, teach what it means to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Teach your children what God designed sex for, teaching them that sexual immorality causes confusion within our souls. It's not this just one-time awkward talk at 12. 
the conversation needs to start early. And the, and the conversation you have with a child at 9 is different than you have a child at 12, is different than you have a child at 15. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, I'll just summarize it for us for time. It tells us that when you're, when you're rising, when you're going, it's probably up on the screen. You can go ahead and flip to the next one. But ultimately through this, this verse, it tells you that class should always be in session. And mom and dad are the professor. So if you're going to the mall, if you're going to Costco, or if you're watching TV, class is always in session. And mom and dad is the professor. The ultimate verse that kind of everybody thinks about when they talk about parenting and, and struggles is Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the, and the Proverbs themselves are not guarantees. The probabilities. But what I would put on the table this morning, if you do not train your children up, if you do not discipline them, if you do not provide biblical instruction, there will be nothing from them to depart from or return to. So in conclusion, parents, when you're withholding discipline and instruction, ultimately, you're loving yourself more than your children. And what I would hope from this is not getting, okay, these are the rules I need to teach my children and this is the do's and don'ts I need to teach them, but I pray that you would see that, that your goal is to invite your children into the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. And I'd also say this morning that you cannot invite them into something you don't have yourself. So our goal is not to produce a moral, obedient atheist that goes to hell. Our goal as parents is to carefully place kindling around their hearts and their souls so that when the greatest father of all fathers chooses to save them, they will be set ablaze for him. And as we wrap up, let me pause to address the parents that are here this morning that have wayward children. I know in a, a, a message like this, it can be very emotionally you want to swing and to beat yourself up on. But I would ask you to continue to pray that God would open their eyes that they would come to a realization they are in the muck and the mire and they would return home. And I'd also plead with you and ask you to allow Doxa Church to come beside you and pray for that. To be able to pray for these children that are wayward, that they would come home. And if your children is, if your child is walking close with the Lord, I'd also to ask you to stop patting yourself on the back so much. It's by the grace of God in that alone that they are saved and they're walking with the Lord. We are called to be diligent in what we do, but don't take the credit for yourself. Continue to give God the glory for what He's done in your child's life. So to wrap this up, we live in a culture that is in open rebellion against all authority. We have a great responsibility to continue to, to frame our children, uh, to, to teach them appropriately what it means to obey, what it means to honor, what it means to, to be able to do that and, and not provoke them, but to give them discipline and instruction. My hope is that we, that we all walk in wisdom in raising our children patiently teaching them to love God and to cherish His Word. Let me pray. Lord, I thank You for... I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your time that, that You forced me to sit uh, at Your feet over these last couple weeks to prepare this. Lord, I pray that they can see um, 
that it's, it's a true plea from our heart uh, for everybody here at Doxa Church, that we would be able to, to rightly train our children. Lord, I pray that they would see that this is our desire of Doxa Kids is to come beside them and to help them train up their children uh, unto the Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, as, we, as we move in a time to, uh, to, to take communion, uh, it would be a time that we prepare our hearts before we come to the table and see where we stack up with your word this morning. Lord, I pray during this time as, as, as we prepare and sit in our hearts that you would make, uh, you would give us new convictions, Lord. Lord, that we know that we're not doing this ultimately, walking this out and training our children by ourselves. Lord, we believe highly in community and that we, this is what you've called this community to do. Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity um, to stand before this body and to share from my heart. Lord, I pray that uh, you, would, you would continue to work among, among us. You would continue to show us that we need you, we need your word, uh, and we need each other uh, to hold ourselves accountable uh, to be the best children that we can be through your Holy Spirit and to be the best parents we can be uh, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this church and this desire to train men uh, to be godly men and their desire uh, to train women to be uh, uh, godly women and to train children to be godly children. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.